You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Best of Mornings with Matt White right here on SEN. On Monday, Dr. Nathan Gibbs provided expert insight on the NRL's independent doctor issue. Let's bring in now somebody very experienced in this uh, area of expertise, a man with more than 30 years' experience, in fact, in the game of rugby league when it comes to the medical side and before that, a player as well. Dr. Nathan Gibbs is on the line. Good morning, Nathan. Always something for us to talk about. Yeah, it's always good to have footy back and a bit of controversy, Matt. (laughs) It didn't take long, did it? So let me hit you with this one. Is the NRL jumping at shadows in this case? The independent doctor is a, is a very good decision because it's it's a doctor who's got access to lots of different camera angles who is just looking at how a player reacts after getting a hit in the head. And he then communicates that with the uh, people down at ground level where you often can't see uh, very clearly or, or, or at all sometimes uh, of incidents. So the... Uh, the problem I think is arising where some players might be having an exaggerated uh, reaction after being hit in the head, perhaps to milk a penalty, and and unfortunately that the uh, the bunker doctor has to take on face value, and and uh, if that happens, uh, get that player assessed. So I guess there's a couple of points on that one: the exaggerated reaction, um, like you say, to, to to force a change to get off the field, and that's that comes down to the coach's box and the sideline and and how they want to manage it, but. If you're an independent doctor in that situation, you're looking for signs, not symptoms. Is that right? So can you explain that to us from a medical point of view? It's, it's been made very clear, and this is how it runs. The club doctor, the team doctor, makes the diagnosis of concussion in a player or rules out a concussion and says it, it isn't a concussion. That's done by the, the team doctor. All the independent doctor does is, is help the club doctor by looking at reactions and how how a player behaves after being hit in the head, and the obvious one is if you fall unconscious. Well, that's that's clear. That's category one. That's a definite concussion. If you get up and you and you can't walk properly, ataxia. That's that's most likely a concussion. You know, ninety nine percent of the time. So there there are some very clear guidelines uh, that they use to say, hey, this looks like there's a definite concussion. But then there are other ones, and and this is where it gets a bit. Uh, muddy, if you like, the when a player gets hit in the head and is motionless for a minute or two, it's possible that he's uh, for a second or two. I say it's possible that he's uh, unconscious for that brief period. So lying motionless or slow to get up after being hit in the head, they're always uh, areas of concern that might prompt a, a, a match day doctor to uh, to call that player off the field to be assessed for possible concussion. How quickly do you think you can determine whether a player's got the wobbles, Nathan, from just getting an awkward hit versus a player who is in possible concussion areas? Obviously, the duration of the symptoms is quite important. So if it's extremely brief and you get out to the player, uh, it could well be not concussion at all. Uh, if it's a more prolonged symptoms, then uh, it's more likely, of course. But 
the on-field trainers play an important role as well because they're they're there first, you know, to the injured player, and they're communicating back to their team doctor as well on the sideline. So that that system uh, works well with the very experienced on-field trainers. So, do you think the independent doctor in the bunker is better than an independent doctor, perhaps on the sideline? Absolutely. The, the the independent doctor is just looking at the vision and he has access to all the different camera angles, uh, much like the home viewer. So the home viewer quite often sees and cuts well before the sideline doctor. Sitting on the sidelines a terrible place to, to see these sorts of uh, injuries happen because uh, there's no... Uh, yeah, the view from down on ground level is, uh, is not very good. Should the NRL put more trust into the coaches and the club around that or is this an issue that deserves to be in the hands of somebody independent <laughs> i did uh, hear ricky's interview uh which i love yeah but the uh the coaches are the last person you'd uh, put health and safety issues uh, in charge of so the uh, that's why we have team doctors uh they do a very good job and they're the ones who should be making the decisions on the overall view of this then if you if you look at it i mean there's there's an obvious case here for player well-being. I mean, that's that's an obvious, straightforward case. But then there's a bigger issue, isn't there, of of the game protecting itself. How much do you think that latter part plays into this versus the initial part of the player well-being? Because are they protecting themselves here? What I'm saying is, is the NRL doing this to make sure that they're covered if a lawsuit comes? There's definitely the, the medical legal aspect is definitely. Uh, a major issue in, in all of the concussion debate. Uh, but in, in protecting themselves from that, the NRL is also putting player safety, you know, at the, uh, at the forefront. Even though they might have different goals in what they're trying to achieve, the, the aim is still the same, player safety. So that uh, I, I think it's a good idea. It's interesting, isn't it? You know, consistency is a word that comes up in rugby league all the time and we're normally talking about refereeing decisions and what the bunker's doing or not doing. How do you reckon you get consistency in an issue like this? Have you got anything to make this process better? One thing, when I've been team doctor on the sideline working with the bunker doctor, I think it's very important for the team doctors to get a good communication going with the uh, with the bunker doctor because you can talk to them uh on the sideline uh, through the headset system. So the, I think it's it's important to give them feedback uh, from the trainer getting information back to the sideline doctor and having the sideline doctor communicate with the bunker doctor. Sometimes you can uh, clarify things that may not obviously, uh, or the bunker doctor might have a different view about. So do you think this situation that we've got now is here to stay? I, I think the system will, will remain in place because it's a good system. It's, it's just got a few... A uh, few teething problems early in the season and uh, and they'll be sorted out. Great to catch up with you. Before I let you go, life at the Waratahs, uh, how's it going? What, mate, what year are you up to uh, in, in being involved in professional sport at the moment? <laughs> oh, I hate to think. I did start in 85. So it's been, uh, you, you can do the maths yeah, on that. It's a long time. But you love it, don't you? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's the best. Uh, as, as I said earlier, it's not a very good seat. On ground level on the sideline, but I love sitting there. <laughs> Good on you, Nathan. Thanks for your time this morning. Yeah, bye. <laughs> Dr. Nathan Gibbs joining us. Uh, great to catch up with him and get his views on that. League legend Billy Moore and why more expansion for the NRL is needed after the Dolphins' initial success.
We speak about the passion of rugby league and you think passion, you think of this man. 211 games for the North Sydney Bears, 17 for Queensland and three for Australia. The one and only Billy Moore joins us on the morning program. Good morning, Billy. Matty, how are you, buddy? You well? Yeah, good. Good, thanks, mate. Now, listen, I've set our listeners a challenge this morning because I've got a... I've got a double pass to the supercars to give away and I need the best caller. So I said, look, I'm going to chat with Billy Moore today. So you're going to have to outdo Billy on the best caller front because I'm, I'm reckon you're going to, <laughs> I reckon you're going to bring it to the table, big fella. Four out of four for Queensland teams. Give me a, give me a take on round one of the NRL. Best round one I've seen in 20 years, first of all. I thought it was amazing. Uh, first up dig by the players and coaches and the Star Trek prep those players up to deliver what I thought was unbelievable. When you think about the seven games, six of them were legitimate contests until the last couple of minutes. Um, and, and then the, just the, the collisions, the ferocity, the, the intensity for round one. It makes you think, Matty, where do you go to from there? Um, and obviously all that from a Queensland perspective, actually from a rugby league perspective, was capped off by the Dolphins' amazing victory over the high-flying Roosters. Um, what a great first-up win for them. And I think Wayne Bennett summed it up best in his press conference. Matty, he said, this is not just a win for the Dolphins. This is a great win for rugby league. And I think what you've now got is in southeast Queensland and in Brisbane especially, you've got the opportunity to build a derby which will take the focus of that city and really lift rugby league to another level. It adds a new dimension, doesn't it? I mean, when you think about the rivalry now between the Dolphins and the Broncos in particular, the fact that they turn up in their own backyard and they'll be playing matches there at Suncorp, they get big names. Mm. Um, Wayne Bennett likes to light the fuse as well. So, you know, it, it certainly adds another dimension. Just just on that then, I mean, you're, you would love to see the Bears come back into the competition. Other, play, other people would love to see a Perth team come back in. I think what the Dolphins' introduction has shown is that it works and people have an appetite for it. If there's if there's to be an 18th team in coming years, where do you reckon the best home for it is? That's a great question, Matty. Um, and I'll be I'll transparent to all our wonderful listeners. I'm on the Bears board. I'm a Bears man, and I want the Bears back as the 18th team. A couple of things. There's the non-negotiables. What we've realised, if you're a St George supporter, you would have felt flat. You didn't, you didn't partake in round one. And... Manly won't in round two. If you're a Knights fan, round 10, Magic Round, don't even worry about turning up because your team's not going to be there. So 17 teams doesn't work. We want to provide the solution. The Bears put their hand up and said, we will provide the most pragmatic model in sport as a solution to the NRL's problem. We will provide the 80s team. And all we want, these are non-negotiables, our colours, our badge and our history back. Two games minimum at North Sydney Oval and we'll go wherever they want us to go. If it's Perth, if it's the Pacific, if it's Port Moresby, we'll go anywhere because our 220,000 fans have waited 24 years and we are prepared to be pragmatic, realistic, and we'll go wherever we need to go. The other great thing, too, about the Dolphins' performance, Matty, is let me put a line straight through this point. Anyone who says there's not enough talent in the NRL to expand, you are wrong. That is what the Dolphins showed you. It's not about the talent. It's what you do with what you've got. And Wayne Bennett is the magician of making people believe and deliver the results. So there is enough talent. 
what we need to do is cultivate inside the pipeline and then bring in players from outside and make them believe and work as a unit and the Dolphins epitomise what you can do off only 13 months, maybe. 13 months they developed a side that rattled the roosters. So, mate, let me let me ask you this. If, if I said to you today, you've got 13 months to get the Bears in order and into the competition, what lessons do you take out of the Dolphins? Because clearly Wayne Bennett has been the key factor in that. Do you go looking for a Bennett-type character? Is that the most important thing for you? Given all your non-negotiables, what's the most important thing mm-hmm. for you to come out swinging like the Dolphins did? Create the right DNA and culture from the outset. So the key thing is the senior player group that you underpin the regime with. When you think about what he brought in, he's, he missed supposedly all these big marquee players. And you know, when you talk about those names, the Munsters, the Walshers, you know, they're great players. But what he did get, he got culture. He got DNA. He got out of the Melbourne system, which we know works, the Bromwich brothers and Kafusi. He turned that game just through sheer want. His, his discipline, his aggression, that's what made those younger players around him believe. Mark Nichols off the bench comes out of the South Sydney system. We know he can work. He set a tone as well. So getting the right senior player group, I think, Matty, is paramount. Yeah, it's great to get the, the marquee player, but they're no good if around them you've got a culture which actually doesn't have a bit of steel, a bit of mongrel, and a bit of pride. And I was there at the game, Matty, half-time, the crowd standing ovation, 33,000 standing ovation, and I think the crowd went, well, that's great. If that's as good as it gets, that's a really good first-up start. In the middle of the second half, mate, the, honestly, the crowd, you can almost hear them go, we're a chance here, and it just built and built. I got a tingle just talking about it. The culture of what you bring in straight away is what your standards will be based around, and that's what Wayne Bennett's done. The magic of him is he knows man management, and he knows exactly what he wants in the group and to create the DNA for success. Yeah, good on you, mate. Um, great to catch up. We've been pressed for time, so we're going to have to head off to the news. Thanks for your time this morning and your, your passion as well. I'll, I'll give you a double pass to the supercars because at the moment you are the best caller of the day. So you just let me know if you want to head up and watch a few <laughs> cars at Newcastle. On you, Billy. Stay safe. Thanks, mate. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Seagull superstar Tom Travojevic on his injury return and hopes for 2023. The one and only Adam Gilchrist will join me to talk cricket this hour, but another one and only is already on the line for us. So I'm pleased to say that Tom Trebojevic joins us on the morning program this morning from Tongues Park down at Camaray, where you've been doing a launch this morning for the Ampole Little Origin. Turbo, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. Tell me what's been going on this morning. So there's a chance here for students to get a great uh, experience and play at half time in the middle of the State of Origin series. What's this all about? Yeah, so out here at Tunks Park, um, supporting Ampol's Little Origin initiative, and it gives the opportunity ten, for 10 schools to play at halftime uh, of, of the men's and women's State of Origin. So it's a really cool initiative. I know as a kid, I would have absolutely loved to, to go out there at halftime of the State of Origin game and, and play some footy. It would have been uh, one of the most memorable experiences of, of my life. So it's a great initiative, and I'm sure a lot of schools will get behind it. Yeah, not only that, uh, winning schools. So basically students can apply, but winning schools will receive a $5,000 grant to help aid their rugby league program. You go around to a lot of schools. You spend a lot of time in the community. Give me a sense of what, aside from the fact that kids just love coming up to you, Tom, give me a sense of what you see at the schools and what do you reckon's needed at schools to get them fully engaged in rugby league at that age? 
Yeah, look, uh, you do go out to a lot of schools, and I think the NRL is doing a great job now with all, all the school initiatives. And I think it was, um, it was really hard during COVID to go out there in schools and, and you know, show face and, and promote the game of rugby league. But I think now that we've come out on the back of it, we're seeing a lot of be- a lot of benefits from going out there and doing it. And, uh, you know, registrations are, are coming up and stuff like that. So I think it's just continually pushing the game of rugby league onto the, onto school kids and showing them the benefits they can get from it and how much fun they can in going there and playing footy with their friends. So there's a website to go to for those listening, maybe some parents are listening, they can apply on behalf of the school. It's nrl.com slash origin. And as Tom says, you get a once-in-a-lifetime chance to play at halftime. So I'm wondering, Tom, when you were a young bloke and you're looking up and watching State of Origin on the telly, if you got a chance to go out and play at halftime, who's the one player that would have made you stop in your tracks as they were running off and you were running on? Uh, look, I, I loved Andrew Johns growing up. So <laughs> if I had a chance to, to play at a game that he, he was playing at and got a chance to see him, uh, that would have been a pretty cool experience. There's also a chance to get a training session here with Sam Thiday. So let me throw that at you. If you end up with a training session with Sammy Thiday, what, what do you want to focus on with the big fella? Oh, probably not too much speed work. More, uh, <laughs> more defence and, and and running hard. I think that was his uh, what he was very good at back in the day. But he's an awesome guy, Sammy. Uh, he's a lot of fun, and I'm sure the, the kids will get a lot out of training with him. Yeah, exactly. And and if you are going to do defence with him, just stay out of his way. Righto, mate. Let's get the reaction of of how you felt after round one. It was a great win by the Manly Seagulls. The start of the new era down there. A whole lot of newness, I guess, is is the way to put it down at Brookvale. How did you pull up? And what's your take on your on your first round victory? Yeah, pulled up really good. Um, enjoyed getting the win round one. You know, having. Done that before my career, so it was great to get a round one win in. You know, the fans turned up in numbers, which was, was awesome, and it was great to put a performance in for them. I thought uh, on on the back of the game, I think our D was a was a real real focus for us going in it, and we we did a very good job of it. And I think that you know won the won the game on the back of our defences, and you know and that's where how you win games early on in the year. So that was really pleasing for us. Couple of times there uh, on the weekend, Tom, and and in fact, one of my listeners called this morning, a Manly fan, and he said it was just so awesome to see everyone back and you back, obviously. But it was like there was a couple of times there when you could have put the hammer down, but you pulled back just a little bit. Is that something that's going to be part of your game this year, or is it something that's just part of managing what you've been through? Oh, look, uh, I've been asked this question a lot uh, the past few days. I think it was down to a bit of fatigue. You know, I wasn't. Um, you know, I was very tired out there. It was a hot day and I haven't played footy for a while. So I'm um, definitely confident in, in, in my body and to go out there and, uh, you know, do what I can when it's needed. But, um, yeah, look, it, it's good to get that, that game under my belt, get a lot of confidence from it and hopefully keep, keep going. It's your ninth year in the NRL and therefore your ninth year, obviously, at Manly and, and you came through the system. So you've seen things come and go and you've seen it all happen around you. When I speak to people at Brookie, Tom, they tell me that Manly's a happy camp. It's, it's a happy scenario and it's a very easy word to throw around. Can you take us inside the playing group and what that really means? Yeah, look, um, I think Steve's come on, come on board and he's had a real focus on, on our group connectedness. And he's implemented a few strategies to, to keep building that. And I think everyone's in a, in a really good place at the moment. You know, we're all really enjoying our footy and, and each other's company. And um, I think that, you know, helps 
performance. And, uh, you know, we've obviously put a good one in first week, but we just need to keep building on that. You know, and when you're winning, it's obviously also going to be a happier place. So I think that, that strategy of being connected has been really helpful for us. And hopefully that can, uh, we can continue to do that and continue to put performances in. A few people saw a bit of a difference in yourself when you when you left to go over to America and when you came back, you know, just much more relaxed and, and happy around everything. Give us a sense of what you think you brought back mostly from America and that trip over there with Bill Knowles. Well, it just, you know, obviously getting injured is just quite frustrating and, um, you know, trying to understand why why this happens, etc. It, it can be quite quite draining. So going over there, getting some new ideas and some things to focus on is, for me, you know, the best thing because I can come back here and I can, you know, put the work in and, and, you know, be confident that this is, you know, not only really beneficial, but it's putting me in the best place, place to be the best athlete, athlete I can be. So I think that side of it was, was, was awesome and I got a lot out of it. Yeah, absolutely. So you got the bye this week, so it's a good way to start. You get a, a round one one match, which you get the victory in, and now you have the bye. So anything changed for you in terms of recovery for this season, and, and how do you guys handle not having to play this weekend? Yeah, well, we uh, probably recovery hasn't been the biggest focus for us, considering we've got, we've got a bye, so we've got a lot of time. So we haven't um, done too much. Um, but I'm sure as the year goes out, you know, you're playing a lot more footy and recovery will be a big uh, a big thing that we need to manage. So I'm sure that that will happen. But for us, it's just a bit of a slow week considering we're not playing. So uh, there's no there's no need to, I guess, start your prep early. You, you want to just be relaxed and then, you know, come the weekend, we'll start thinking about Parramatta. Good on you, Tom. Thanks for your time this morning, mate. The nrl.com slash Ampol Little Origin website is where our listeners need to go to. You would have had a wonderful morning down there at Tunks Park. Great to see you out and about and uh, up and running, obviously, for the season ahead. Thanks for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. Thanks for that. Adam Gilchrist for the final word before the fourth test between Australia and India. Welcome back. The fourth test, Australia v India, starts tomorrow afternoon. You'll catch full coverage right here. On SEN, of course, the Border Gavaskar series is gone, but Australia really turned the tables in the third test. Makes you wonder what's ahead of us at this 132,000-seat stadium in Ahmedabad. Uh, Australian cricket legend Adam Gilchrist is on the line. Morning, Gilly. Hey, Matty. How are you? I'm good, mate. You played in front of some big crowds in your time, 132,000, including... Out of the middle of that, 85,000 of the Indian Prime Minister's mates. He's got some mates, hasn't he? But um, it's going to be enormous. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, uh, they know how to turn it on over there, particularly when it comes to the, the home state of the PM, uh, a re- renamed stadium in his honour. And uh, look, I think as far as Indian cricket supporters, I don't think Narendra Modi is necessarily the most passionate cricket supporter. It's rare to say that about any Indian. I'm sure he follows the game, but he's not ever made it a a regular feature to be at the cricket, but it's going to add to the occasion uh, for this Test match. And and the Australian Prime Minister there as well, I believe. He's going to be there uh, in partnership with uh, the Indian PM. So it's going to be a historic occasion and a a great opportunity for these uh, Aussies to to really um, salvage this tour from what was disastrous early, uh, a complete backflip on the back of the third test and a chance to 
to level the series, which would uh, mean they come away with their heads held high. I'm just wondering, throughout your test career and the, the few hundred games, essentially, that you played for Australia in one day, is like when it came to ticketing, you know how you've got to look after your mates and family and all that kind of stuff, <laughs> right? <laughs> so if I ring you up, I say, Gilly, can you get me into Lords tomorrow? You've got, what, six tickets? I don't know how many your cricketers get, but say you get six tickets and you've got to sort them out. Have you ever had a situation where you've got to fit 85,000 of your mates in? <laughs> I don't think I've got that many mates, but um, I reckon all of a sudden the PM has and he'll, yes, he'll yeah. accommodate. He'll accommodate. The good thing is he can get 85,000 of his nearest and dearest in, and there's yeah. still, what, about 50,000 extras for others to come in. That's the size of the stadium. They don't fool around over there, and uh, man, that could be an extraordinary sight. I think they had the, the IPL final there last year, didn't they? And that was yeah. um, jam-packed and... Uh, quite the scene. So, what an experience for. Um, I mean, think about the roller coaster that uh, Todd Murphy and Matt Kuhneman's been on lately, just uh, plucked out of nowhere, and then they're at the forefront, and then they get this opportunity to perform in what could be the biggest Test match crowd in history. It's um, it's quite the journey, and it, it augurs well for the for the future for these young guys to be able to have these experiences to draw back on, because that is that is what you do through your career. I think it's. You're probably not even aware of it at the time, but on reflection, you do. You do um, draw back on the experiences, learn. You, you, you carry forward the bits, don't you? That you that you know that are meaningful and and that you can learn from. And you discard the other bits that you want to try and forget about. But um, it's quite the journey, and well, not just for the young guys, but for all those players. What do you think about when you think of your time playing in India? I think you ended up playing seven tests there. You played a lot of the IPL. Obviously, the Indian fans love you. All fans love you around the world. But when you reflect on your time playing, especially Test matches in India, what what comes to mind? Oh, I would say tempo is the word, and we've seen it throughout these three tests. The tempo of a test can change in in a half hour period. It really can. You can feel like. You are in the driving seat. You are steering that test match in one direction and then all of a sudden, uh, and it happened to us uh, a number of occasions and it's happened to the Australian batting lineup in particular, this tour, you can lose you know, seven wickets in an hour, an hour and a half, and a, one session can, can cost you a... Well, it's probably cost the Aussies a series um, yeah. the, the, in those first couple of tests, particularly that second test match in Delhi. So it's... Um, it just it's so hard to wrestle back the momentum so uh when you lose it uh and and you can fight so hard to get it and then it can be gone in the blink of an eye so that's what the it's just that sort of extreme place anyone that's been there it's uh it hums along in its own sort of din its own beat india but but then all of a sudden out of nowhere uh lightning can strike and it can go very very quickly and uh, like anything over there, the volumes of everything are big, and often the volumes of wickets in a short space of time can stack up very quickly. So that's probably my main memory is just trying to slow it down. That's what we tried to do in 2004 is just, just pull the momentum, that freight train, back a bit and slow it down and just get long and deep into test matches. And, and look, we didn't, have the, we didn't have the rubbish wickets that have been served up uh, in 2004 compared to what's been um, served up this time around. So that's been a, a huge challenge for both batting lineups in that series so far. 
the pitch is obviously going to be different, Gilly, to the one that we saw in the third test, and, and we know, you know, what's transpired since then. But how much then does Australia take away the fact that they finally got on top of the Indian um, team in their home backyard, in their conditions, and how much how much does that play, do you think, into the psyche of, of especially like the young guys that you mentioned, they're going, hang on a second, this isn't impossible to win here. This this is achievable. Yeah, that'd be it'd be uh, of huge importance if they can secure another result this Test match. Uh, just to, to walk away from the tour, as I said, having salvaged um, uh, a great deal from it uh, for all the beliefs and the, the learnings is probably the main thing. I remember in 2001 we were frightfully close to winning the series, which would have been the first in 31 years in the subcontinent for an Australian test team. And, but, but we didn't. It was agonisingly close, but we didn't. And, and credit to India, they, they just flipped around a few big moments. And uh, it was probably more the learnings we took from that. Uh, we went to, in 2004 to Sri Lanka. And again, we, we gave up first innings leads on, on all test matches, but we were able to wrestle it back and, and get the result. So it's just garnering all that knowledge and uh, information and, and then trying to use that next time you come back around. How do you tailor your bowling plans or your batting plans or your, your team makeup plans and, and I think Australia were really hampered by that the, mainly the two of Mitchell Stark and Cam Green. I think that test match in Melbourne was very damaging for them um, in regards to what en- ended up transpiring in the first couple of tests without their availability so uh, the balance of the team was thrown uh, off its uh, off its axis a little bit and um, so that, that's probably it, gathering as much information, um, do it again in this test match, if they get the result, brilliant, and go away and then uh, the guys that will return again there eventually will have a lot more information to be able to uh, be dependent on. Yeah, we know that Paddy Cummins is not going to be there again for this fourth test. So Steve Smith um, remains in charge of the team for this one. And it's a very settled team now. So I don't think, are we expecting any sort of changes, do you think, for tomorrow? I don't think so. I guess it depends. I noticed uh, just on social media of various um, broadcasters and reporters that are over there, journalists covering the tour, posting photos that there was two cricket pitches in the middle that were being prepared. Two were covered. Um, so I guess I have to wait and see what conditions are uh, served up. I, I don't think it's going to be a green seamer. So I don't think we'll see um, three quicks and a spinner being played. But uh, it's, it, you know, whether, whether there's any evidence that they you know, do need an extra seam bowler. Um, but I'd, I'd say that's highly unlikely. Uh, but again, just with with Green there, it allows them to have you know two seam opening bowls or quick opening bowlers. Um, if they felt they needed one more, they'd still, they'd still have two spinners. You know, maybe it's, um, whether it's Lyon and Kuhneman or Lyon and, and Murphy or whichever, uh, scenario, but you've got Travis Head and, and Smith and Labuschagne who can bowl spin too. So it just highlights that point how vitally important, not just at the moment, but probably for the next ten years, Cam Green's going to be for that Test match lineup. Just him um, in at either five or six wherever he bats, and that bowling option of which he's an out-and-out opening bowler at Test match level in a lot of teams. So he's just so versatile, and it adds a new dimension to that Test lineup in any conditions. Yeah, I reckon that word importance has been attached to Cameron Green 
um, more so in the last month or so, and especially when he was missing as well. You know, just such an important role that he plays, an important player for who he is, and an important part of the future as well. So there's a lot riding on him. Um, Nice work, mate. So can't wait for that one to start tomorrow before I let you go. So did did you catch the first Formula One race of the season? Are we, are we chasing Max down the paddock again? Oh, it seems like that, doesn't it? <laughs> it really does. Uh, good to see Fernando up on the podium. That, yeah. was, uh, that was fantastic. So, um, yeah, it, it looks like that's the way it's going to be. But, um, yeah, a few new drivers in the mix there, a few new names to follow. So I think that always keeps it interesting. But, um, yeah, Max is just... Uh, they know how to back winners early, don't they, Red Bull? <laughs> and they nabbed him when he was, what, about 16? <laughs> and and yeah. now they're reaping the rewards. So fair play to them. They take they they take a bit of a risk early, and they back them in, and uh, they're enjoying the fruits of their labour. Yeah, that'll be a good season. Good on you, mate. Great to catch up. Uh, enjoy what's remaining of this series, and of course, plenty to come um, as we head towards the Ashes. Thanks for your time this morning, Gillick. Pleasure, mate. And good luck for that manly women's team, mate. I hope they get the oh, chockies. Oh, <laughs> you're a legend, buddy. You're a legend. Thank you for what you did for me, too. I appreciate it. The one and only Adam Gilchrist uh, with his thoughts there. So the fourth test starting tomorrow. So full coverage right here across the SEN network. Uh, 2.30 is this coverage start time. That's uh, daylight saving time, of course. And then ball-by-ball coverage once the first ball is bowled from 3 o'clock. That's interesting, isn't it? Two pitches. Side by side. I mean, the way that the third test went, we could have done with two pitches. <laughs> we might have got past, what, halfway through day three. Um, he's a legend. The guy is an absolute out-and-out legend. 0457 736 736 is the text line, or 1300 01 1170 is the open line. We'll come back and wrap it all up right after this. And Broncos hooker Billy Walters spoke with Matty before the Queensland derby against the Cowboys. An all-Queensland affair tomorrow night. The Broncos face the Cowboys. Brisbane coming off that great one-point win against the defending premiers. On the line is Brisbane hooker Billy Walters who joins us. Good morning, Billy. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Now, thanks for your time. A big one ahead, but let's just quickly touch on the one that you got away with or the one that you got done in round one. What's what's the team reaction been like after that one-point win? Yeah, we're pretty pumped. Um, you know, it's a big win for us, especially round one, to beat the defending premiers at home. Um, you'll be pretty happy with that, I, I think. But, um, yeah, watching back, I, I like you touched on there. I think we're probably a little bit lucky there at the end. We, we probably should have finished them off better than what we did and we kind of let them back in the game and... They nearly stole it from us in the end, but um, it's a work in progress, and hopefully we can take that form into the Cowboys. That old saying that defence is an attitude, and obviously the defence was there, so the attitude is there. Does that saying still ring true in training? Is that what's drilled into you guys? This this is our defence, and this shows where our attitude is? Yeah, 100%. Um, it's something we've really worked on in the off-season. Um, you know, you look at the, the teams that have won the comps, you know, the last 10 years have always been the best defensive team. So, um, and I kind of felt that on the field there. You know, Panthers had a lot of ball on our line in that last 10, 15 minutes. But even when we made errors, we didn't seem to, to stress too much. We all knew that if we just kept working hard and had the right attitude and backed out of fence, that we were going to hold them off. And um, we did in the end. And there's also got to be belief, doesn't there, Billy? I mean, regardless of, of, of what you're focusing on in the off-season, there's got to be a belief to go to Penrith the most dominant team out of the last couple of years and take them down at home. So what was that messaging like outside of the tactical and strategic play? 
Yeah, I suppose um, it probably helped us in the end. St. Helens knocking them off the week before um, kind of showed they're, they're very beatable, especially now at home. Um, you know, they've, they've lost a few of their superstars, which happens when you win a couple comps in a row, I guess. But, um, yeah, we, you have to believe that you can beat every team in the NRL, otherwise there's no point in playing. And, um, you know, Kevy's pretty good at that, putting the passion in. He had Gordon Talis come in and talk to us um, on captain's run the day before, which kind of inspired a few boys, and, and myself included, to, um, you know, really go out there and give it back to Penrith. You know, they've been probably a bully team the last couple of years, um, and, you know, we had to go out there and give it back to them. So we're happy with it. Yeah, I was going to ask you what, what your old man was talking about, but now I'm interested in what Gordy's message was. Yeah, well, his message was pretty much um, just just how much the club meant to him and um, and how he based his career on. Um, he said he wasn't the most skillful or uh, the fastest or the fittest, but he he was just the most aggressive. And he just went out there and he and every week he just wanted to, to tackle harder and run harder than his opposite number. And if he knew if he did that, that they were going to win. And you know he challenged us to do the same thing. And um, I felt like we did that. You played 36 games now in the in the top grade. The the old saying that you know you play 40 or you're 50, and that that's when that's when you really become the NRL player that feels comfortable in this league. Where are you at at the moment with your game? How comfortable do you feel out there? Yeah, like you said, I'm, I feel like I'm getting more comfortable every game. Um, mm. I feel like you know this is a big year for me. There's no more excuses. I played a full year last year um, with no injuries, and um, you know. Time's probably getting away from me now. I'm 29, so it's now and ever for me. So it's a big year for me to try and stamp my my mark, I guess, on the NRL and, um, yeah, try and nail down that, that hooking role that I feel like we've lacked last year. Did you guys walk away from beating Penrith and, and go, you know what, we're, we're the headline act here, and then all of a sudden the Dolphins deliver their win over the Roosters on the Sunday. You go, hang on a second, now they're grabbing all the headlines. So it, it's funny how it's playing out. The Brisbane Dolphins rivalry is... It's kind of started without even any prompting. Yeah. Um, I don't really like the Roosters or the Dolphins, but I think I was kind of half cheering for the Roosters that day. But, um, you know, after the result happened, I guess, uh, you know, I was happy for them. It's tough when there's a lot of pressure on you. I mean, we felt the same pressure going into round one, and uh, I know how, how happy they would have been to get that win against the Roosters. And it uh, probably takes a bit of uh, pressure off us to have to beat them on, on round four, I guess. If we got there and they hadn't won a game yet, there would have been a lot of, a lot of pressure on us to beat them, so yeah. uh, hopefully that makes it a bit easier now. <laughs> yeah, good point. Really good point. Talk to me then about your spine, the rest of your spine. We know we've got Reese Walsh uh, in the number one jumper. He's going to be a massive in for this weekend. Ezra Mam and, of course, Adam Reynolds, your skipper. So what, what's the spine club like uh, for you this week? Yeah, um, well, it's the kind of spine that we've practiced with all pre-season. Um, unfortunately, Walsh got an injury before round one, and he couldn't play, and I knew he was... He was filthy. He's been dying to play for the Broncos and and get out there and, and rip into the year this year. So um, he's been he's been training really well, and I'm really keen to see how he goes. He's he's so skillful. Um, I didn't play with him when he was at the Broncos beforehand, and um, I didn't really get to see. But this this off season, I've just seen how skillful he is and how he can just create something out of nothing. So I'm, I'm hopefully he can do a bit of that this weekend. Then you've got the opposition. So talk to me about the the plan for the Cowboys. Uh, the plan, I don't know, I guess we'll probably run harder and tackle harder than they worked last week, I guess. But, um, yeah, they're a great team, you know. Um, <clears throat> I, I thought they were, going to win by, they were going to win by 50 when I was watching their game uh, in the first half, and then Canberra kind of clawed back into it. So it um, should be a good game. I think it's nearly a sellout at Suncorp. Um, they pulled our pants down last year. Uh, hopefully, well, I know they won't be able to do that again this year, and uh, hopefully we can get one back on them because they beat us. Oh, well, they, they pumped us both times last year we played them, so... 
hopefully it's time to get one back on them. Yeah, you know that Chad Townsend's going to be out there up at Townsville at training, knocking away field goal after field goal because that's how it panned out for them too in round one, 19-18 over the Raiders. How much work does Renault put into field goal practice and, and coming down to that one-point situation? Yeah, he puts um, a lot of practice in all of his games. Um, he's pretty good at his kicking game. He prides himself on that. He, he rates himself as uh, the best kicker in the NRL. So he's there, he's always there after training. And if it's not kicking goals or practicing his long kicks or his bombs, he's um, he's hitting field goals. So um, hopefully we won't need a field goal, though. Hopefully we've been by a couple of tries this week. But uh, if we do, uh, back Renault right to kick one. Good on you, Billy. Thanks for your time this morning. Have a great weekend. Thank you, mate. Go Bronx. Thanks for listening to another edition of The Best of Mornings with Matt White. Maddie and Maddie Johns will be back Monday morning from 9am for The Roundup.